Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. In this episode, we'll discuss the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Lectionary 22, or Proper 17, which this year falls on August 29th. One content notification for this episode, we talk about anti-Semitism when we discuss the Gospel reading. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. Our deep dive for today is into hand-washing. It comes up especially in our Gospel, and as we continue in our second year of pandemia or quarantine, we thought it would be a good call to, you know, talk about hand-washing. Also, I'm not sure that there are Bible passages on wearing masks. Like, I can't think of any it's offhand. true, though I feel confident in saying that Jesus would want you to wear a mask. Yes. And I feel confident in saying that he'd be perfectly okay with you wearing, you know, a decorative and ent- entertaining mask. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Be you. Absolutely. And I just elbowed the wall. <laughs> Embrace the fullness of your... Like Emily while spark of the elbowing divine. walls. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so to start off, I just wanted to talk about hand washing and like why it's important. And this came up at the beginning of the pandemic, and I actually heard a thing on Science Friday about it in March of last year, and we'll link to that in our episode description. But the reason why it's part of kind of why hand washing is actually better than hand sanitizing. So when you wash hands, there are bacteria, and the coronavirus is not a bacteria, it's a virus, obviously, but it's also falls into this category where they have like a lipid membrane. So the outside is fat. It's water phobic. It doesn't like water. So hydrophobic is the technical term, right? It doesn't like water. And so when it gets in the dirt, it makes it like you can't just rinse it off. It's not water soluble. But when you use soap, soap itself is a type of fat. And so it dissolves, it kind of combines with the fat in the lipid membrane of the, of coronavirus or in the bacteria and the dirt. And it does, and so then it gets the, the hydrophobic parts of the soap attached to the hydrophobic parts of the bacteria, which leaves the hydro, what's it called? which leaves the polar parts, the, the parts that like the water. So the, the part that doesn't like the water connects with the dirt or the bacteria or the virus, and it forms kind of this ring around it, which then means that all of the parts that do like the water are at the outside. And so then after you scrub your hands, you can rinse them, and then the water will rinse it off because of how the soap switches which part is on the outside. Those of you who play The Sims will know the word hydrophobic because that is, uh, in at least a couple versions of The Sims games, a trait that you can give your Sims or that they can inherit, which, uh, as much as I am personally not terribly fond of large bodies of water, I have never actually played with a Sim who is hydrophobic because I believe it's also usually almost impossible to get them to bathe. So, I was going to say, it sounds like a way to have a non-bathing yes. Sim. Gotcha. Yeah. But so then the water can wash away. And that, folks, is the science behind hand washing and why it's so important and why that's been the big push 
for basically the entirety of the pandemic, and you should keep doing it. Hand sanitizer is not actually better. It's a good, like, if you don't have soap, but it's not going to do as well as actual, regular, ordinary, everyday soap. It doesn't even need to be antibacterial soap. In fact, antibacterial soap should probably be a decreased place in your life unless you work at a hospital or somewhere else with lots of really intense bacteria because if everybody uses antibacterial stuff, that's how we're going to get the big, scary bacterial infections that kill people. Right. Which is probably another deep dive. And maybe one for, like, a medical podcast and not us. Yeah, that would be a whole other deep dive and not one that I am able or prepared to dive into. Sure. So do you have a favorite 20-second thing to say or sing while you wash your hands, Emily? (laughs) I actually don't. You can definitely do, like, Happy Birthday or the Alphabet Song. I don't. Okay. Honestly. Yeah. Do you? Not terribly often, although these days the first verse of the hymn, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, has been going through my head a little more often than usual. And I think that's probably about 20 seconds. Uh, But that's the one I sing when I start getting hopeless about the future of humanity, so that might not actually be a good sign. (laughs) Yeah, I, the Kyrie that is in, I think it's maybe setting nine in the Evangelical Lutheran worship, the ELW, the... Um, Our hymnal. Main hymnal for ELCA Lutherans like us. That's like, Kyrie, ELA, song. Oh, yes. On our world and that's on good too. our way. That one is one of my common ones. And but that's now a that's great idea. Head. Thank you. You're welcome. But that is a great idea where if you don't want to sing a happy birthday song or the alphabet song because you have too many kids in your life or not enough kids in your life anymore, you can always just pick your favorite hymn. Or a hymn that brings you comfort and encouragement or solace. And sing that. Sing a verse of that. And that usually is plenty of time. Yes. And if you're not that into music, saying the Lord's Prayer works too. Oh, yeah. You could experiment with different versions of the Lord's Prayer. Oh, that'd be great. Debtors and trespassers and sinners can all wash their hands together. It's okay. (laughs) I was going even more diverse than that, but... Uh, Oh, with different languages. It is true. Different languages, but also it could be our mother. There's a a lot of really creative versions that people have come up with. Anyway, so that's the science behind hand washing, but hand washing also happens a lot more. It actually, as part of kind of ritual purification, hand washing is one example, but in fact, ritual purification and examples and encouragement to do it can be found in almost any religion, I think, that you could think of. So the Baha'i religion, Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, in a number of native traditions, in Islam, Judaism, Kalesh, um, which I am hoping I pronounced right, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, um, Western esotericism, and Shinto all have some aspect of ritual purification to them. So it's, it's a common thing, right? When we talk about baptism as Christians, we talk about being washed in the waters, being immersed in the waters in, sure. right, we're baptized into Christ's death so that we also then join Christ in the resurrection. Admittedly, the phrase washed in the blood of the lamb usually takes a little bit more clarification for those who aren't familiar with it, but same thought, basically. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That one's one that I try to avoid using to the extent that it's possible, but yeah. 
but well, you are vegetarian. A it's true, I am. That's a great excuse. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the fact that that kind of theology makes me squeamish. But part of what we wanted to talk, why we wanted to talk about ritual hand washing, is because that comes up in our gospel reading within the kind of bigger picture of ritual purification. Jewish law and custom actually prescribe ritual hand washing in a number of different situations. And this practice is generally known as netalat yalayim. And I will say that people will pronounce it differently. I tend to have kind of a different pronunciation than other people. But this is what I got for the pronunciation. Anyway, so that basically means lifting up of the hands. And that is something that happens in a variety of different places. It traces back to Leviticus 15, where there is kind of more intentional wording and call to wash hands. But for folks who are Jewish, you it's important to wash hands before eating, depending on kind of the level to which you observe kosher and observe religious traditions. Some of the occasions for hand washing are before you eat bread, after you eat bread, before you eat dipped fruit or vegetables, before worship, before the priestly blessing, after sleeping, and then in any number of other occasions, including touching part of the body that is dirty or customarily covered, leaving a bathroom, leaving a cemetery, cutting one's hair or nails. There's a whole host of different occasions for it, and we'll link to the Wikipedia article on handwashing in Judaism for you so that you can get it more. But cool. one of the things that I really appreciate about ritual handwashing is that there's this moment of pause and intentionality before, especially when it's before eating, that kind of opens up the space for, I think, especially these days, whenever we can take a moment to pause and to breathe and to then engage with something. It just lets us, gives us more space to welcome and acknowledge the divine among us. A mini so Sabbath. Rich, a mini Sabbath, yeah. Um, when I was in CPE, my first unit of CPE actually, in New York, I did port chaplaincy in Port Newark and Port Elizabeth in New Jersey. And my CPE partner was an open Orthodox Jewish rabbi. And so I had a couple times that I was able to celebrate Shabbos with them. And so then I got to practice ritual hand washing before eating bread to start the meal. And the way it works is you take water or a cup of water, depending on how you're doing it, right? And you pour twice over each hand to wash. Um, So that's why a lot of times if there's a cup or something that's used for ritual hand washing or an artifact, there's two handles, one for each hand to use to pour water onto the other hand. Okay. Um, but that space of having two of them, having it, doing it twice is um, part of the tradition and part of how they do it, which I think is really beautiful. So, yeah, wash your hands, folks. Absolutely. And as Lutherans, we say, wash your hands and maybe once they're washed, make the sign of the cross on your forehead with the water as a reminder of your baptism. Absolutely. And, you know, I vote for keeping the habit of hand washing after the pandemic. I would like to catch yes. the flu and colds less often. Thank you. Yes. More hand washing. Always more hand washing. Yes. And probably more mask wearing, too. I'm in favor of that, too. Yeah. 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 Also, just as a side note bonus, um, there's a beautiful poem by Dory Midnight 
that was shared at the beginning of the pandemic called Wash Your Hands. And it goes through some of the unique and holy spaces, the sacred spaces of hand washing, and also some of the kind of just complicated places that we are in our lives. So we'll also share that in our episode description for those of you who are curious about that. I've used it a couple different times for a prayer service, and it's been really powerful and really meaningful. So, And for Maundy Thursday. One of those was for Maundy Thursday, which is fun. Our first reading for this episode is from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2 and 6 through 9. God begins to give the Israelites just laws to live by instructing them to never change them and to remember their time in slavery as they implement them, so that their neighbors may see what a wise and discerning people they are. So one of the themes in this passage is the idea of just laws as opposed to laws based on power. We live in a country where the people with power are the ones who make the laws. So when we talk, when people talk about quote-unquote law and order, it's really important, especially as Christians and as people of faith, to say, okay, but is the law actually just? Right. Right? Laws that limit voting rights. Not actually just laws. They're laws intended to disenfranchise people. So in a similar sense, there's this push where Jesus, where, well, there's this push where God is saying, these laws, these commandments, these things and instructions that I'm telling you are just. Right. And we can look at them and and that's backed up that God is about just laws, ways of navigating relationship and community that are rooted in justice rather than rooted in helping the powerful keep all the power that they have. And so within that, I was trying to think about when laws are just and because I love sci fi fantasy and dystopias, most of the time laws are not just. They are abuses of power where people will make laws, and even if they're maybe initially intended to be good, yeah, they get abused. And so the best example that I could come up with was in Graceling, Katza starts the council, and the council's role is to challenge the particularly the kings when they abuse power or enact abusive laws. And so they help save people from abuses of power, which makes it a more just place to live, even though the laws are not necessarily just. And then as we dive into the verses, in verse 1 we read, So now, Israel, give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe, so that you may live to enter and occupy the land that the becoming one, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. This actually feels a lot like The Handmaid's Tale beginning, because there's this like radical fringe group that claims Christianity that cherry-picks texts to justify what they want, and then to justify their taking over the land and the government of others. So it's a combination colonization, harmful cherry-picking. Yes, which is a thing that happens a lot, historically. So don't do that, though. That's bad. Yeah. See, whereas I read verse 1, and I thought about how in uh, D&D, when you're playing, sometimes you solve a problem or a puzzle by following the rules and working it out logically, and taking your time and being patient. And sometimes the DM just kind of gives it to you because you were funny. (laughs) The last time this happened to me, uh, the puzzle that I was given was a riddle that said, it was something like, you will beat me with the best tool of the cleverest member of your party or something. And 
as i found out later the guy who was playing the genuinely cleverest member of our party had actually played this particular dungeon of D before and was therefore very carefully not like you know offering suggestions for how to uh, do stuff initially and just letting mm -hmm. us figure things out and then ask him to do things so i tried to point the group to him nothing happened and eventually i said okay well the best tool of a clever person is probably their brain so i tried psychic damage and the dm thought that was great and so we just went with it <laughs> And that wound up with us not w trying to f figure it out for two hours, which he was also in favor of. The fact that I also happened to be married to the DM, I hope, didn't really wind up being that much of a <laughs> factor, but you never know. The truth comes out. And I have to admit that I get the feeling on a fairly regular basis reading the Bible that God is entertained by the people in these stories. Like, that seems to happen mm -hmm. with charming regularity i guess mm -hmm. and sometimes exasperated but also sometimes entertained and so i kind of wonder if that's a thing for god too like no that that was not actually what i was going for but that was pretty funny and also you know you you had your heart in the right place so yeah sure yeah i think that makes sense i think that's how we got things like the platypus <laughs> yes exactly god's like evolution not what i was thinking in this case and yet but okay. Sure. Yeah. And then in verse six, we read, you must observe them diligently for this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. This verse may sound kind of weird on the face of it, but I have to tell you that, you know, we do this even now. It, this is absolutely mm -hmm. a thing that people do. You hear about a law in another country and you think, oh, how cool of them. And, of course, we also do the exact opposite, which happens a lot. <laughs> and I happen to bump into it a lot when I'm watching Star Trek, one well-known example being the planet where Wesley winds up being sentenced to death uh, in The Next Generation for walking on the grass on a planet where he didn't Ooh. know that that was something that would get you sentenced to death. It's a long story. I remember you talking yes. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I When I was a kid, I had a book that was like really obscure and ridiculous laws that were technically still on the books. Sure in various places in the United States. And it was, like one I think was you can't mow your lawn without a shirt on on a Sunday. You just know that there is some guy who that, you know, that was his fault. That he was the reason why that rule got put in. I mean, I think it was because it was like the blue laws. Yes. The blue laws, the dry like you, you can't, can't sell, sell liquor alcohol on, on Sundays, Sundays. Yeah. you can't do anything. No, I'm, on I'm sure, but I'm also guessing that but, there was yeah. a guy who like <laughs> consistently uh, yeah with specific laws like that, you, you tend to find that kind of thing. Indeed. One of my favorite uh, comedic lines is from the comedian Christopher Titus, who quite often said, you know, if it wasn't for my mom, it would still be illegal in four states to kill a man with a cappuccino machine. Not entirely sure that that's historically true, but... <laughs> yeah, that's that would be a different kind of adventure. Yes. And then in verse 9, we read, But take care and watch yourselves closely, so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So here, God is talking about having been enslaved, having journeyed through wilderness, all of the stuff, all of the hardship. So remembering that so as not to perpetrate that against other people. But I was also thinking about the things that get passed on to kids. And in the Hunger Games prequel, we find out that the hanging tree song that Katniss sings in 
the final book, Mockingjay, is actually a song that the person that President Snow loved before he, when he was just a teenager, sang. And so there's this new connection of like, it gets passed on generationally, right, to to new people, and then comes back to haunt him. But also the, the space in the epilogue of the books themselves, where Katniss is talking about having to someday tell her kids what happened in the Hunger Games, and that space of making sure they won't do that to other kids, and they it won't be done to them either. Yeah. Yeah. Telling kids the truth about difficult things is hard. Yeah. There's also... Totally related, kind of. There's also a TikTok I saw the other day that apparently there are some words in, there are some, like, nonsense words in songs, like, fa-la-la and fiddly-dee, those sorts of things, right? Those actually are words in languages that have since, like, become extinct, but people in that area have maintained with the right pronunciation and everything, these words, not knowing what they mean, because they're in songs. Yeah. Which I think is brilliant. That, and that absolutely does happen. And in fact, it also happens in the Bible. There is a word that recurs in the Psalms on a regular basis, Selah. Mm-hmm. We don't actually know what it means. We know how to spell it. We know it appears regularly <laughs> in the Psalms. We have guessed that it probably has something to do with music. Absolutely no idea. And so uh, because of that, uh, we have maintained the word. And in some Bibles, it's still in there. Since we can't translate it, they just put it in uh, in a English alphabet as best they can. Uh, but I find that pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a great example. I hadn't thought of that. Mm-hmm. Look at that. We're nerding out about the Bible. <laughs> in, in this another podcast? passage huh. about the Bible. Weird. Our second reading is James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. The author reminds us that hearing or knowing God's law is not enough to produce God's righteousness, but it must also lead us to care for those in need and act with love towards each other. So, in case it's not obvious, I am painstakingly slowly making my way through The Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) One episode per day at most. And Emily has shared that they have not read the book, I believe. I have not read the book, but I am past season one. Sure. I've been watching for like months now, and I finally made it. Maybe not months, maybe, but at least a month. I found I the book a lot less traumatic than the TV show. Hmm. I mean, still, it's an emotional experience, but I suppose my reaction to the TV show was probably about, like, the visual stimuli, the images get stuck in your Mm -hmm. head, the voices, that kind of thing. Uh, Reading is a lot less likely to do that to me. So, uh, and also the book is really good, I will say. I definitely get sucked into books where, like, I have been reading books about, like, Nazis during the Holocaust and then, like, looked up while waiting for the red line in Chicago and been like, oh, right, the Nazis are not actually all around so I mean, I don't know that that would work for probably, me quite as well as for you. But well, yeah, no, I I have a vivid imagination and I definitely get sucked into books, but it's still less less, of the less likely to stick around. Yeah, descriptions that makes sense. Anyway, in this in James, one of the themes that I noticed was this concept of hearing or knowing and not doing, and that definitely seems like what happens in The Handmaid's Tale, that the people who are in power 
the commanders and their wives um, hear and even say the right things, but they don't do them. They don't follow God's law. They don't follow the love of God. They don't act with love. Even in the space of, right, this is supposed to be how we solve the problem of infertility, and it's so restricted, like sexual interactions are so restricted, but they don't even follow that. They do it outside, and yeah. So, you know, Handmaid's Tale, not a model for good culture. Yes, absolutely. Please don't do that. Just so you know. Yeah, murder bad. Then as we dive into the verses, in verse 17 we read, Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above. And this made me think about abnegation and in the Divergent series. And Tris, part of why Tris leaves abnegation is she doesn't feel abnegation-y enough. She doesn't feel selfless enough. So I was thinking about the ways that folks who are not part of, whose heart and mind are not actually abnegation, would not be able to do this because they wouldn't have the selfless and the generous spirit of all of the things that abnegation does. And so they wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a generous act of giving. It would be an act of giving, um, which brings into the space of right stewardship campaigns and all of those things. But the heart of them is that giving, and when we give for offerings or other things, it should be a generous gift, not a giving out of obligation. So it's about... Or begrudging. It's not just, yeah, it's not just the result, but it's also how you get to the result that matters. Yeah. Deontology instead of teleology. And then in verse 19, we read, You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I was sick this last weekend and marathoned the first two seasons of Never Have I Ever on Netflix. (laughs) And Davey, the main character, is decidedly slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger especially at the very beginning. It's a journey. She grows, but definitely she has a temper. And so I was like, oh, this is like the opposite. See, my translation of that would be more Klingon, less Vulcan. All right. Sure. When we reach verse 20, we read, For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. So remembering that the word righteousness in the Bible can be understood as right relationship, a good and healthy relationship, basically, uh, we know that this is true because only rarely does the presence of anger improve a relationship. Like, that is pretty unusual. Might happen now and then, but it's not the default. Just ask, Mm -hmm. for example, Nate Ford from the TV series Leverage, whose anger sabotaged his various relationships many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. And cost him one marriage and nearly cost him his other lifelong relationship so Ooh. yeah although to be perfectly clear it's also important to note that sometimes anger is the appropriate response oh yes right absolutely there's a lot of stuff that's happening today in my community that makes me angry and it's as a response to things like injustice so it's yeah right there's there's anger that blows things out of proportion and is not helpful to relationships but there's also really justified and holy and righteous anger because it is anger because things are not in right relationship and often that kind of anger the kind that leads to right relationship is anger that is intentionally channeled 
and intentionally like focused on doing the good things and you don't allow it Mm -hmm. to like take over your life and uh for example cause you a drinking problem which is what happens in leverage and so on um so it's it's intentionally processed to to work for good uh as opposed to just you know wild anger out there in the wilderness just uh wandering around like a pokemon i okay that metaphor (laughs) kind of got away from me I mean, where the wild things are. <laughs> yes, They absolutely. roar their terrible roars, and that's actually, you know, not the worst place to have anger. Yes, and frankly, you know, roaring roars, as long as it's not directly into someone else's eardrums, is not the worst way to get rid of your anger. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Also, it's roaring roars, not roaring roaries. So, not actually about Gilmore Girls. And Stars Hollow. And Stars Hollow. And then in verse 27, we read, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So that description is pretty much exactly the opposite of the religion as practiced in the Outer Worlds video game, which came out a couple years ago, which is focused on being a productive and profitable employee of your corporation and never being a burden on other people. It's oh, wow, deeply creepy and horrific, and it I was kind of surprised by how much I bounced off that. I have a few uh, video game streamers that I like, and I, I like the streamers, but I could not watch a playthrough of that game because that concept just... I couldn't do it. Uh, the, no, the game looked fairly entertaining bad. otherwise, but no, no, thank you. Yeah, capitalism bad. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> Our gospel reading is from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, 14 through 15, and 21 through 23. Jesus reminds us that fulfilling rituals is not the complete fulfillment of God's law, but that since our evil intentions come from our hearts, our faithfulness is about following the spirit of the law so that it shapes our hearts and actions. So one of the themes in this passage is a shift in focus. So Jesus is part of this shift in focus from following the letter of the law to being really intentional about following the spirit of the law which is a particular thing that Jesus wrestles with within his own Jewish community. Yeah. So just to be perfectly queer with everybody, this is like a within his community, this is a wrestling that's happening. But it reminded me of the shift of focus from Kristen Kashore, who's an author and the author of the Graceling of Graceling and all of the books in that realm that started out and she was very focused on Graceling and Bitter Blue and then has since shifted her focus to the larger Graceling realm that includes other lands like the Dells in the Firebooks and Winterkeep in the book Winterkeep. Um, so it's an expansion of the universe and um, just kind of a, a shift of a broader focus, a bigger picture. Cool. When we reach verse 3, we read, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands. My initial thought for this was, yay, the perfect pandemic neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) Can I live near these people, please? But, uh, of course, uh, life is a little more complicated than that. Uh, The history of the Jewish people and epidemics is a sad one on the whole, especially in the Christian-controlled world. Historically, it was a common practice for Christian communities to blame Jewish people in their midst for plagues. Uh, Sometimes because they were perceived to not be dying at the same rate, uh, which we really don't have any historical evidence toward or against. It it seems like 
everybody pretty much died at the same rate and occasionally this neighborhood would be better off and occasionally that one would be mm-hmm. um it, although if you're washing your hands more you're probably right and it turns out that if you're you eat good quality food and you're rich you're probably going to do a little better but controlling for all of that no there wasn't any one magical religion that saved you from plagues mm-hmm and uh, of course the christian communities chose to persecute the jewish people in response because of course that was going to solve all their problems no no it wasn't no not at all bad idea and that has led to a lot of anti-semitism in the world uh, which is part of why when we read bible verses about pharisees about jewish people uh, especially when they refer to the jews um, and so on we quite often uh, rephrase how uh, it's phrased in order to be true to who the Bible is actually talking about and not playing into modern day misunderstandings about how all that works. Yeah, or anti-Semitic tropes. Yes, exactly. And of course, you know, ancient Christian communities weren't particularly interested in asking, hmm, I wonder if the religious emphasis on cleanliness might be a part of it, because why would they ask that? That would mean that they would have to do more work. (laughs) And it's not as though that ever actually made Jewish people immune anyway. So, yeah. So don't be like those Christians. Yeah, don't be anti-Semitic. Don't blame like people for a plague because they happen to be a religion you don't like. That's not going to be accurate. Mm-hmm. And consider the context when you're reading the Bible. Yeah. It says the Jews. A lot of times it's a geographic group that they're talking about the Judeans. Right. But even for here, there is an emphasis within Judaism for the Jewish people to not eat unless they have washed their hands. Right. Like we talked about in our deep dive. Which is actually a good a idea. Thing. Like, yeah. Jesus isn't saying never wash, wash your hands. hands. Right now. <laughs> Jesus mm-hmm. isn't saying that washing your hands before you eat is a bad thing. He's just saying that, you know, getting holier than thou at people because they didn't do the same rituals that you did is maybe not the ideal thing. And he was talking to a specific group of people at the time. Mm-hmm. And think about that. For Christians, when Jesus says, don't get holier than thou at certain people because they don't have the same religious practices as you, that actually applies really well here. Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. Especially if those other people are, you know, trying to save lives in a pandemic. (laughs) Not that I'm bitter or anything. No, no. We all are. We all are, for sure. In verse 5, we read, So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Kay talked about this some, and we just talked about it, but I like the idea of the tradition of the elders. And I think that's an important thing, because tradition is frequently a part of a lot of religions and a lot of faith communities, especially within Christianity. But I was thinking about the Jedis in Star Wars, and that that is a tradition of the elders passed on from Jedi to Jedi, from Jedi Master to Jedi Apprentice. And some of that tradition is really good and really holy and really lovely. And some of that tradition needs to be let go, which happens until the unfortunate last episode of the final trilogy of Star Wars. Which if you acknowledge like, that exists. If you acknowledge that exists, but we think of it um, maybe more in tune with the cursed child than anything else. It's a great bit of fan fiction. But that space of there could be someone who is a Jedi who is not born into it, who doesn't have the credentialing. That is a good tradition to change and challenge. Yeah, especially since 
the Star Wars fandom has been arguing over, you know, are these various bits of the Jedi Code actually a good idea since the first Star Wars movie came out? And it's gotten to the point where uh, you can, I believe, uh, in several parts of the United States, list your religion as Jedi. Uh, because <laughs> and and people will legit do that because for them it's following a moral code which you know mm -hmm. I may disagree with bits of it but on the whole it seems to be mostly aimed toward the good so yep right like there's other traditions of elders that we continue like for example we just finished up our Jesus loves you series and Kay and I both contributed recipes to our Patreon subscribers and Patreon supporters that were traditions. From our elders. Yes. In our cases, our moms. Yes. But that that's a great tradition. I'm a fan of continuing to pass along those beloved recipes to new generations. Especially when they're recipes for food that's like actually yummy and not a recipe that we pass down because we have to remember how terrible it used to be for our historical ancestors and what yeah. terrible things Ludifist, they used to eat. Don't pass I... that down. <laughs> don't pass that down, people. Do not. Stop How did you read my mind? Keep going with um, the whiskey cake and the cookies. Uh, uh, chocolate chip cookies are good for you. Yes, absolutely. Unless you're diabetic, in which case, you know, th there are other options. <laughs> and then in verse 15, we read, There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile it, but the things that come out are what defile. This, in fact, is not necessarily true. I think that Jesus probably has not met President Snow from the Hunger Games because he definitely experiences, like, is very familiar with poison, and poison does in fact defile. It, in fact, kills many people, but he also consumes poison to enough of an extent that, like, the inside of his mouth has, like, ulcers and things. So definitely there is a space for defilement by consumption. But yes, the heart of the matter is, in fact, the actions we take against others do defile our harm, can be harmful. Yes. I also had a moment, I, I had never read this verse this way before, but I had a moment while you were reading this verse where I thought to myself, you know, in the Protestant tradition, it's often believed that Jesus had younger siblings. And I do kind of wonder if he ever had to, you know, care for those siblings. And in that case, is mm. he in this moment having a flashback to terrible moments with bodily fluids <laughs> from younger siblings who can't control themselves? <laughs> Or from, and, like, ingesting rocks and Yeah, who knows. Um, but having, you know, dealt with the bodily fluids of infants and toddlers on occasion, yeah, okay, that defiles, that's fair. <laughs> Please take a shower. <laughs> and then finally, in verse 21, we read, For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Which explains kind of a lot, really. Like, for example, in the animated movie of Aladdin from 1992, uh, as far as we can tell, uh, Jafar has no exterior reasons to be incredibly greedy for more money and power. Like, the only person richer or more powerful than him in the movie is the Sultan, who seems to be a good guy and a fairly decent boss on the whole. Jafar has a really nice life at the start of the movie, and then he goes and he ruins it all uh, because he lets uh, his greed from inside his heart control them. Mm -hmm. I also think we need to name for folks. So that's the beginning of verse 21. And then the rest of verse 21, 22, and 23 have a lot of different things that are labeled as evil intentions. And it's important, I think, to be careful with how we interpret the list of things. There are some things that are clearly evil, like murder. 
Yes, murder bad. But when it says that deceit is on that list, well, talk to Shifra and Pua, two midwives who deceived Pharaoh and saved Moses' life. Yeah. Among other babies. But I'm also particular about this because fornication is one of the things on that list, and fornication has a variety of different understandings and meanings. And yeah, yeah if you are abusing sex, then yeah, that's bad. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the way that fornication gets interpreted can be pretty harmful and bad to queer people, to single people, to, to married people, people in any number yeah. of relationship structures. So just to be cautious about that, we're not going all the way into it, but just to be cautious. Let's just slap a big Facebook label of it's complicated on that and move on. Yes. I love it. It's complicated. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost with our special guest, Monica Ozarski from Sweet Tooth Farm. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at N-E-R-D-S-A-T-C-H-U-R-C-H. Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our full guest episodes and interviews, as well as those yummy recipes we mentioned earlier, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. We hope Patreon can help us get our episodes transcribed for those who need or prefer that, though if you want to help us with transcripts, let us know via email or social media. As the ancient Christians said, Pox Vobiscum.